and and we know that developmental just de- the developmental process is a lot of work for kids it is it's big work and it's going to generate some strong feelings and these strong feelings are normal um, mm-hmm. and we have to watch our judgment with those right. as good and bad um, you know all feelings as we talk about at SYC all feelings are okay right but not all behaviors are exactly Hello, this is Amy Rudowski, and I'm your host of the SYC School for Young Children podcast. Our philosophy is we believe in the social-emotional development of all children, and we believe that that happens within the context of free, uninterrupted playtime. This podcast is meant to serve as a parent education and as an outreach so we can reach more families. Now, our next episode. Welcome to the SYC Approach, Empowering Preschoolers Through Play and Compassion. Today's episode, we are going to talk about big feelings. And so with me, I have Angela Lamont again. So welcome, Angela. Thanks, Amy. Yeah. So we thought we would talk about these these big feelings that are going to lead into tantrums and and maybe give us some tools on how to handle tantrums at home, out in public, um, but also to be able to just handle and, and get comfortable with these big feelings that our kids might be experiencing. And and what are the normal kind of big feelings that kids will be having throughout their these stages? So we're going to start with just some general development first um, to give us some background and some understanding of where kids are coming from. Uh, with that before we move into some things that we might be able to expect with kids. So Angela, could you talk to us, could you give us a little bit of background then about about infancy, early childhood, and preschool? Sure. So the theory I actually went to was Eric Erickson's theory of lifetime development. Um, He put it out in his 1950 book, Childhood and Society. And what he did there was set out um, a series of eight stages, each with a task to complete. So in the years at SYC, we generally see the first three stages. So that's what I'll talk about. Um, And in fact, we kind of see kids when they've finished the first stage, infancy, um, which he qualifies as birth to 18 or 24 months. And for infants, the task is to develop a sense of basic trust. And when they develop that sense of trust in the world, in the people around them, the strengths they are able to develop are um, drive and hope. So they see the world as essentially a positive place, and they have hope that um, you know, they can live in it, basically, and be comfortable. And so what adults can do for their babies is provide lots of love and comfort and meet their physical and emotional needs. Um, but then as kids get a little bit older, say, you know, 18 to 24 months to three, three years old, the task becomes to develop autonomy. And this is a whole different thing because at this point you've been very connected to your baby, but when it's time for them to start developing autonomy, it's time for them to separate from you. And this becomes the age of no. (laughs) They're trying to do things themselves. They're um, the possible strengths they can develop through developing autonomy are self-control, courage, will, and They develop personal control over physical skills that they're learning, like walking, talking, playing, starting to do little bits of self-help. And in this way, they're developing independence from their parents. Um, They're no longer an extension of your body. Right. (laughs) They are their own little selves. 
Um, and then in the preschool years, roughly three to five or so, their task is to develop initiative. And through developing initiative, their strength um, that they can possibly develop is a sense of purpose. So, you know, going out there and doing things, which they gain through um, asserting control and power in age-appropriate ways, and we as the adults define what's appropriate for them to assert their power and control over. Um, so one of my daughter's phrases when she was in these uh, times, uh, probably toward the earlier end when she was developing autonomy, her phrase was, do itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she like, couldn't even I'd say do it the myself. whole thing. Yeah. Right. She would say, do itself. And I would forget, you know, because I was so used to raising this little baby and doing everything for her. And I would go ahead to do something for her. And she would put her foot down and say, do itself. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You're reminding me that this is how what I'm supposed to do. It's time for me to start stepping back a little bit. Yeah, and we know that we have to go through all these stages of development. We have to be able to develop this basic trust in order to be able to separate, Mm -hmm. to be autonomous, to see yourself as separate from your parents, and then to go on to the next stage, as you were talking about, the initiative. So we have to go through these building blocks in our development to, to move through those. And I think, you know, that's our goal as parents, right, is to have our children go through development and to be able to separate themselves from us so that when they are done with SYC or they are done with high school or they're done with college, that they are their own person. Exactly. Yeah. We're, our job is to become less and less necessary yes. <laughs> over time. <laughs> so what can um, adults do to help children develop this autonomy and initiative? Okay. Um, So it's good to have a consistent daily routine. Um, So time to wake up, to eat, to play, to sleep. Okay, so having this um, basic framework that's predictable for the day frees kids up from having to think about that, and they can do things that are um, more important for them to think about at this age. Um, So we want to let them make lots of age-appropriate choices and do age-appropriate things. And so what we have to do is find a middle ground between having too few limits and too many because we don't want to control them with too many. So our expectations need to be appropriate for what our individual children can and should be doing. If the boundaries are too strict or our expectations are too great, children tend to feel bad about not being able to perform these expectations Right, to meet those expectations, yes. Yeah, that you know, fear of not being perfect. So, so we want things to be very reasonable. But we also have to have these boundaries and limits, and sometimes the teachers will refer to them as guardrails. So if there are too few limits and kids have too much leeway to exert uh, more power than they're really ready for, um, that sets them up to experience disapproval from other people when they're doing things that um, they really shouldn't be doing. And that can start to develop difficult feelings in them as well, feelings of less confidence um, and, and their ability to be um, autonomous and have initiative. We want to create lots of time and safe space to play and experiment with appropriate activities that they find interesting. And we want to allow them access to a, a variety of playmates. So not just their siblings, not just kids who are older than they are or younger than they are. Um, it's often more challenging for kids to play with kids who are the same age. And so we want to let that happen as much as possible. We want to give kids support in learning self-help skills. This is one of the first places that kids can start to um, exert some control and feel 
um, successful in, you know, so starting to dress themselves and undress themselves and um, expect the kids to do a little bit more as we step back and do less. So I think there's also a balance that we have to find that sometimes can be hard as parents and, and as teachers to find the balance mm-hmm. of what kids are ready for um, as far mm-hmm. as, as doing some of those tasks where you not, you're not wanting them to feel defeated over a task right. they're not ready for, but also at the same time wanting to be able to challenge them Exactly. And letting them know that, you know, sometimes you do want to stretch that a little bit just to see if they're able to do something. Yeah. And you can start to break a task down and just give them part of it. So say you want your child to learn to put their socks on. You at first would take the sock, slip it on and get it just over the heel so they can pull it the rest of the way up. And then when they're being really successful with that, you slip the sock onto their toes and let them pull it over their heel and the rest of the way up. And then finally, they can put it on completely all by themselves. So it's not an all or nothing thing with skills. It's you approximate it step by step until they can finally do the whole thing. And and not to mention that it's going to take more time. More time than you ever thought <laughs> possible. And there may be days when you have to say, guess what, we have to leave the house right now because we have a doctor's appointment and I'm going to dress you this Today I'm going to help you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's practical life considerations. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So basically what you want to do is appreciate and support children's natural attempts to be independent and you set the safety limits for them and you have appropriate developmental expectations for them. And and we know that developmental just de- the developmental process is a lot of work for kids. It is. It's big work and it's going to generate some strong feelings. And these strong feelings are normal. Um, mm-hmm. And we have to watch our judgment with those right. as good and bad. Um, you know, all feelings, as we talk about at SYC, all feelings are okay. Right. But not all behaviors are. Exactly. Yeah. That's a constant phrase that we say here. And, um, you know, what we need to do is realize that some feelings are easier to have and some feelings are harder to have, but you don't want to label them as good or bad. They're just feelings and they come and go. And it's not, you know, whatever the feeling is, it's not the place where your child's going to be for the rest of their lives. In fact, it's pretty changeable at, at this age. So it's going to come and go. And it's not always something that has to be fixed. I think that as exactly. parents, as caregivers, we we feel the race to fix a feeling that's uncomfortable for, for us to witness. Right. Um, we want that feeling to stop for our child. We don't want our child to be distressed. Um, but it's not always about fixing the feeling. Sometimes it's about you know, I tell it to uh, my kids or my sisters, mm-hmm. you know, it's about riding the wave, ride exactly. the wave of the emotion. Yeah. Um, and, and just be with them while they go through that. Yeah. So as kids are developing autonomy and initiative, they're going to have to experience discomfort and come out on the other side of it. So if we constantly try to fix that or uh, divert them from that, we derail that process and we want to mm-hmm. let them get through those feelings while they're still with us and and we can help them and and help them learn how to deal with those feelings. Um, And as parents, it can be really hard for us to see our kids feeling angry or having other hard-to-have feelings. Um, It's hard to witness it. It's hard for us to deal with it. And, you know, if we as parents feel that, um, you know, we're only being successful or good parents if our kids are happy, 
that's an unrealistic expectation to have of ourselves. It is. And, and it's not a whole person. A whole no. person has no. all feelings. And, and actually, that's one of the things as teachers that we look for in this classroom is we want to be able to see that your child has a wide range of emotions mm-hmm. when they're in our, our class. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean that, you know, of course, that we want them to be upset or distressed, but we want to know that they are able to experience all those emotions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the process. It learn to you have the emotion you learn to identify it and you learn to express it and then you can move on Um, and we want to be able to um, you know kind of do whatever emotional work we need to do to be able to stay with kids as they go through this process you know because if something triggers us and we start to withdraw particularly from a, a difficult to have feeling or if it's an easy to have feeling but a really big expression of it and and we back off from that we're not available to help support our kids in their learning about their emotions and how to express them and there are those moments that if, if you if you're having a moment where your child is experiencing big emotions and you feel triggered or you feel that you are not going to be able to respond at your best if possible that's one of those times when you might want to um, tap out and have yeah. your partner step in. Mm-hmm. There's times when that's not possible. Um, mm-hmm. And there's times when you might have to, you know, give yourself a little time out or yeah. go scream in the bathroom or <laughs> take a breath. <laughs> take, a, take a breath. <laughs> and it's okay to also model those experiences yeah. to your children. Yeah. And it's okay to say, I don't know what to do about this right now. Mm-hmm. Let me think about it. You know, let's think about this together. So we know that children's emotional expressions are determined by their age, their experience, development, um, in all areas. They're influenced more so um, in the immediate uh, situational conditions if the kids are hungry or thirsty, tired, maybe the disrupted routine. I'm thinking recently the time change seems to be a big one. Mm If there is not enough physical activity, if it was, you know, really rainy day and you couldn't get outside. Or these big life changes like moving, a new sibling, new school. Those are all, you know, those kind of basic needs Then and then some big changes that can happen in the family yeah. that can affect those emotional expressions. Yeah, absolutely. Anything can. Um, and you just have to be able to sort of roll with that and, and accept that, you know, sometimes your child is going to be a little more adept at es- expressing their emotions and sometimes less so. And... Um, you know, that's, again, a function of their development, but then a function of these more immediate conditions. Um, and so we need to kind of be aware of that. And, and what if we're aware of what the general developmental trends are, then we can be aware of, you know, how these things can be a little bit reversed by difficult immediate conditions. Yeah. And when there's something big life, a big life change that's happening, the response by the child may not be immediate right it might be it might be um later on uh where they might start experiencing or showing some some more responses to that so that's a time when i would suggest to families you know if it was in the school setting if you're having a big change at your house let your teachers know um so that way we can be aware we can be watching for for anything that we might see that your child might be acting unusual or might need some extra support during right and you know we just need to adjust our expectations of a child at these sorts of times you know and know that you know we might see something and we might um you know not press them to do more than they're able to do at these given times and we've also seen times where children um as you were talking 
though, but, but maybe reversing a little bit yeah. um, back in their development. Yeah. Um, development I'm, is rarely linear, right? It's just, it doesn't always go forward. It goes forward and back and forward and back. And, you know, so then let's kind of think about some of those general developmental trends, um, you know, from, from more physical towards more of that verbal expressions of right. emotions. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, emotional development is so tied up with cognitive and language development because we tend to think about feelings in words. I mean, we label them with words and, you know, we encourage kids to talk about it. So when they don't have those language skills, those verbal skills to say what they're feeling or to process the words that we say to them, then we have we can understand better why their uh, emotional expressions are more physical. Like that might be when they throw something or um, they bite somebody mm -hmm. <laughs> or, or they're screaming and, you know, it's, or it, yeah, hit hitting. something, yeah. Um, hit themselves, hit, bang right. their heads. Yeah. Um, you know, that's something that, that as developmentally, you know, that physical expression of needing to get that out. And I, yeah. I notice even, you know, as an adult myself, that sometimes when I have really big feelings, if I get really angry, that I want to do something physical, yeah. uh, like go for a run or or something that physically gets that, that kind of energy out of me. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, in, in uh, one of the classes I teach, one of the kids wrote a letter to the two teachers and asked us what we do when we're angry. Oh, wow. Which I thought was really an interesting thing. I've never had a kid do that before. And he came in, his parents helped him yeah. kind of type it on the computer, you yeah. know, and he typed a bunch of things that we couldn't read. And then his, uh, one of his parents typed the words that we could read. And it was about that. And so we did a whole little group time about it. And, you know, one, one teacher said, I take my dog for a walk. And the other one said, I do lots of heavy work. And, you know, so it was um, a really nice time in our room that yes. was brought up by one of the kids. I love that. Yeah. And, and yeah, wanting to learn more tools and, and wondering yeah. about, about that. Yeah. So we know also at this stage that there is going to be a mix from these huge single emotions um, to, to gradually having more of those gradations or mixed feelings. Yeah. But, but usually it's going to start with, you know, they really love something and then they really hate something. And it can change so quickly. <laughs> yeah. So quickly. I, I mean, I remember being the best mom in the world mm -hmm. within an hour and then being the worst oh, mom absolutely. in the world. You know? Absolutely. Uh, and sometimes I just wanted to be just good enough. Yeah. <laughs> and we are, actually. Right. Yes. 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 <laughs> I just want to be a good enough mom. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's talk then about just kind of impulsiveness and responses. Um, with emotions. Yeah, so we touched on it a little bit by saying, you know, sometimes kids will do something like hit, throw, bite, whatever. They'll, you know, when they don't really have the words, they will do this impulsive behavior. Um, and as time goes by and they learn to express themselves verbally a little bit more, they learn to identify their feelings and, and label them and express them in different ways, then they can start to think out their actions a little bit more. Um, I mean, we have a big role to play in that by having these discussions about, you know, honestly labeling our feelings and saying, oh, you know, I feel really angry right now and this is what I'm going to do about it. So we model that behavior. I'm feeling really sad right now and this is what I'm going to do to take care of myself. And, you know, if, if you find that you have a really sensitive child who responds to that by taking on that emotion somehow, you can 
keep reassuring them that, yeah, grownups know how to take care of themselves. And, you know, when I'm sad, this is what I do. And I take care of myself and I can still take care of you as well. You don't have to take care of me. Right. And I know that, you know, just thinking about labeling those that in the fours classroom, um, that might, this is a time when I start talking more about kind of giving them the modeling of those gradation of feelings. So I might, I might just throw out there something like, oh, this is something that makes me just a little bit sad. Yeah. This is a little sad or, or, you know, I'm kind of excited about this, but, but not that excited. So letting them know that it's not just this all or or nothing kind of feelings. And, and that's takes some time developmentally to, to understand that. And those discussions are ongoing. They don't end when your child is the age to leave SYC. That is a discussion for the long term about, you know, what you feel a little bit one way about or a lot that way. So... (laughs) So what about children's awareness of others' emotions? Yeah, that's something that takes a while to develop. Um, So, you know, they become aware of their own feelings before they become aware of what others are feeling and what the signs might be. So, you know, if you have, um, you know, a younger child, say a two-year-old, it's not necessarily you can do it. You know, you can keep pointing out, oh, they're crying. That means they're sad that's not really being internalized at that point. So it, but a lot of repetition and, and some, you know, development and growth and age under their belts. Yes. Then they start to get it. So, you know, just by pointing out to somebody that they did this behavior and then someone else started to cry, doesn't click that in right away. It Mm -hmm. takes a while and they have to be old enough and have the cognitive development to be able to take another person's point of view. So how can we help and encourage our kids to become more self-aware of these emotions? Yeah, so I mentioned the modeling when you're having a feeling to kind of talk about what your feeling is and what you're doing about it. Um, But one thing you can do is start to develop your own emotional vocabulary. Um, You know, it's kind of like looking in a thesaurus, you know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's not all happy, sad, angry. Um, And... And be aware that there are, you know, different uh, permutations of those things. Um, And being aware that angry isn't always just angry. So, you know, oftentimes we will say to a child, oh, you look really angry or you're feeling mad. And anger isn't always just that. It can be secondary to other feelings. Um, Kids can be having some fear or worry or anxiety. They can feel frustrated. Uh, They can have disappointments or sadness or feel discouraged about something um, or feel uncertain about how things are going to go. Anything like that can manifest um, as looking like anger. Um, and, and And so we might label it as anger when it's really one of those other things. So sometimes you have to really observe, you know, what a kid is doing and what they may have been doing in the recent past to tease out what the real feeling might be and sort of, you know, put those different words on it to help them learn, um, again, you know, just different gradations of feeling or different um, shades of feeling, you know, that um, might help them out in the future. So when kids are experiencing some of these big emotions, uh, emotions, one of the things that we will often see Mm. are tantrums. Yeah. Yeah, we, we only see them once in a while at school. They seem to save that for their parents <laughs> more frequently because, you know, they, they feel safest with their families. Mm-hmm. And so um, 
you know, it's kind of like when we go to work and we're frustrated and we come home and vent. Yes. <laughs> so we call it venting as adults. Right. <laughs> but for little children who don't have the ability to vent verbally, there might be a tantrum. Um, and it, these things happen when they feel completely overwhelmed by an emotion. I mean, I feel tantrum sometimes right? <laughs> as an adult because I'm overwhelmed with all this emotion. Right, right. Um, and, and it's typically when it's something that they wish would be different. Yeah. They wish something would be different ab- yeah. about a limit that was set. Right. Um, or, or just feeling that, that overwhelming of, of those emotions and not knowing how to process it. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the thing that's hard um, – if, if a child is really feeling, feeling frustrated and upset because a limit has been set and they're, up, you know, angry about it or frustrated by it, um, it's tempting to back away from that limit to ease that feeling. And you have to resist that temptation because if you, um, you know, if you back down on the limit repeatedly, what you do is sort of prolong the time over the years when you'll be seeing tantrums. If you can be consistent about, okay, we had this limit, and now you're upset about it, and we'll just wait until you're calmer, and then we'll proceed with things the way I said they would be. Um, They have trust in you because things go the way you originally said it would go, and um, they learn, you know, that, okay, here is my limit. I bumped up against this guardrail here's the limit and now I know yes and I think that I just was going back and thinking about an an example like a real life example I could give of of one of these and so I like to go back and think to um, when my kids were younger and I would go to Target with the kids Oh okay and (laughs) and they would want a toy you know they they would see something I mean they have those you know those aisles set up perfectly for those all those great toys that kids just want to you know take home and beg and you know plea for and when you set that limit and say no and then they tantrum your instinct is to want to just buy the darn toy get the heck out of there and avoid all of this oh yeah yeah because it is so difficult to be in public and have your child um, in the middle of a tantrum and feel like people are looking at you judging you judging you yeah yeah um, <laughs> and so with, with what I would do with that is I to try to set up the expectation beforehand. If this is yeah. something that becomes a problem every time you go, you're setting up the expectation. We're going to target to get X, Y, Z. Make a list. Make a Lists list. Lists are magical. Yes. <laughs> um, or we're going to the grocery store just to get milk. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not getting anything else. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a great example just to just say, oh, yep, that Hot Wheel car is not on the list. So yeah. we're not getting that. But setting up that expectation ahead of time, that doesn't mean that you'll it, totally avoid the tantrum that right. it could potentially happen. But you've set up the expectations. And then if you do set up that expectation, you stick with it. Yes, absolutely. And there were times, so when my kids were little, if we were going to the grocery store, I would let them add something to the list, um, you know, something reasonable, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily candy, but, you know, it might be um, cherries when cherries weren't in season. So okay. they were going to be a little expensive and we were going to get a few cherries for that kid. And so my strategy was that we would get the things on their list. First, I have three kids. Um, those would be in the bottom of the shopping cart. <laughs> Okay. And then we would do the rest of the shopping, which would go on top of their three things. 
And there were a few times when I just had to abandon a full shopping cart. Yeah. And just know that this is part of life. And I would be very apologetic as I was shepherding um, probably one screaming kid and two kids who were dragging on or, yeah, (laughs) you know, getting them out of the store and kind of shouting my apologies at people who worked at the store saying, I'm sorry, I'm leaving this cart, but I'm pretty sure you would like us to To, go out to to, the car now (laughs) to to get out of here. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you just have to be prepared for those things and know that it's part of the deal and, you know, really do what you can to avoid trying to circumvent those. Well, I'm remembering when Natalie was in your class as a two-year-old and being at COSI and her having a major tantrum in public and I was completely embarrassed. I felt that, you know, man, I know a little bit about kids. I I probably, my kid, I wish my kid Mm -hmm. wasn't tantruming. Um, And then I remember coming to you and talking to you and saying, what do I do? What do I do if this happens in public? And you were able to give me some some great advice, and I just remember you saying, you know, the, the research is showing, and and the, the best method is to ride it out, yeah, just to let it happen, and then it will that it will be done. Yeah, yeah. So you know, if you have to move, you do. I mean, if you're kind of in the middle of a checkout line that's going to be holding other people up, you pick your kid up and move to a place where you know you can let them do what they need to do and you can be there with them and take care of them or you pick them up and carry them out to the car and let them have their tantrum there before you put everyone in seatbelts and move on. And one of the things that I've done now that um, now that I'm past that stage and my mm-hmm. children um, might represent tantrums in different ways yeah. <laughs> at home is if I see a parent out in public and I see a child having a tantrum, mm-hmm. I've either offered to help yeah. or said to them, totally been there. Totally, yeah. Totally been there. <laughs> and I like to share this too, that there's been many a times here at SYC where I had to have a teacher help walk um, m- myself and my child out yeah. of here with tantruming. Yeah. Um, so it does happen t- to it everybody. It happens to <laughs> everyone. It does. Um Yeah. You know, as I said, they tend to have more tantrums with their parents. We occasionally see them at school, but not as frequently as you will. Um, So, you know, just know it. I mean, this is, again, like I said, it's part of them developing their autonomy and initiative to bump into these limits and to learn how to deal with um, these emotions, these frustrations and disappointments and, you know, just wishing for things to be different. And if you fall into that trap of wishing for things to be different, (laughs) it will create misery within you. Yes. (laughs) So, you know, this is what we have now. We have a screaming child now, and I'm just going to sit here with a sense of compassion for this because this is really hard and really uncomfortable for them. They're not doing this because they enjoy it. They're doing this because they, you know, really reached their limit and they are completely overwhelmed. And whatever happened that you think caused the tantrum was just the last straw. This was building up before this happened. So, yeah. And we, and yes, for us, we might think, okay, that didn't seem like a big deal at all, but, but for them, it really does feel like a big deal. Yeah. Um, It feels huge. It's like this uh, tsunami of of emotion just crashed over them. (laughs) So let's talk about other ways that we can maybe try to 
avoid temper tantrums um, if okay. possible. Sometimes you can't, right? Yeah. Those are just going to happen. Um, but but what are ways that you can maybe avoid them? I would think, you know, making sure that you fulfill some of their cups as far as their actual cups oh, of, yeah. so, you know, yeah. their basic needs of food, water, water. sleep, mm-hmm. looking yeah. there, and physical Big energy. Big physical activity. You know, if they can work out some energy through playing, then they're less likely to um, feel overwhelmed later in the day. So, yeah, so if you have to, if you know you have to go someplace, you want to plan ahead. You don't want to plan to do it at a time that is going to be nap time, say, or anywhere even close to nap time. Yes. <laughs> you know, you want to make sure that they're, you know, fed and had drinks and had their playtime. And then you've got this window <laughs> in which you go out, you prepare them for, as Amy said, what you're going to be doing. Like maybe here's a list of things that we're going to do while we're out and then we'll come back home. Um you try to do whatever it is you have to do in public. Um, you know, if it's if it's particularly something that is your idea and not their idea, you want to do it as efficiently and calmly as you can to get through it. And then, um, you know, kids kind of know when you're feeling stressed, and so they will pick up on that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so the more that you can do things in a low-key way, like we're getting through Target, we're getting through the grocery store, whatever it is we have to get through – we're just going to do this, be really matter of fact about it. We're going to pay for things. We're going to go home. And then there's going to be something that you want to do at the other end of this. And we'll do that. So, and, and that might be part of your plan. After we do this, what do you want to do next? And you add that to your list of things to do and then make sure they know that here it is on the list. And we're doing this thing that we had planned to do together once we got through this. This whole grocery store you know, scenario which plays out all the time, right? Because mm-hmm. it's it has to happen. It, but I also think about that book, uh, one of the Llama Llama books. Oh yeah, <laughs> Llama Llama Mad at Mama. Yeah. And it makes me think about this because it's where the llama's throwing a tantrum. Yeah. Um, and the mom. I think it's a great illustration though. The mom, you know, just helps the llama put the things back, and yeah. then just says, you know, I don't like to go to the grocery either, but you know, at least we get to do it together, yeah. and then. Um, mm-hmm. and spend time together and yeah. do that afterwards. But, but going based on, you know, in one of our books, Becoming the Parent You Want to Be, it talks about um, lousy local conditions. Yeah. And so, you know, choosing the right time to, to do these. If, yeah. it's, if it's right when nap time's coming because, oh, you can just sneak in a quick errand, it may not be worth it in the overall right. sense. It yeah. May, it may not be convenient, but I also know kids aren't always super convenient. Right. right. <laughs> yeah, we just work around that. Yeah. Um, for that. So we've talked about, you know, things about going in public, but I do want to ask you about one question about how how to handle something in public. So I think we've all seen the kind of thrashing around and kicking yeah. and screaming and you know, we know that we, we can find us a, a provide a space for that or, yeah. or find a soft place for a child to land on those. But what are your thoughts about if a child is screaming in public? Yeah. Um, and then what about if a child begins to do some head banging? Head banging. I mean, you're not allowed to hurt yourself, right? The, these are the safety rules. You can't yeah. hurt yourself. You can't hurt other people. You can't break stuff. So um, if I have to protect you, I will. In general, you, you would like to let a child just do their thrashing if you can, um, because sometimes touching them when they're having a tantrum can escalate the situation. But 
if your child is, you know, banging their head or doing something that's going to injure them and you can't adapt the setting like by putting cushions all the way around them so they can bang their head on something soft, then you might have to restrain a child. And, um, you know, I've done that with my own kids. I've had to do it at school a couple of times. Um, I don't like to do it, but, you know, you can set a child in your lap. You can cross your legs over them. Mm -hmm. You can cross your arms in front of them. And, you know, you might be rocking and rolling a little bit, but they'll be safe. Um, the only part of you that won't be safe is uh, maybe your teeth or your nose mm-hmm. when they bang their, their head back yeah. into you. <laughs> so you have to be aware of that and kind of, you know, maybe if you wear glasses, take them off so they don't get broken and, you know, just kind of avert your face a little bit so that you don't get um, hit. Um, but I, I wouldn't let a child injure themselves. Certainly. And I think that that's one, when I look at, I would call it the bear hug Yeah. Um, with that. Mm-hmm. When I look at that, I look at it as, you know, children are feeling so overwhelmed with their oh emotions my. and out mm-hmm. of control. Yeah. They're, they're feeling out of control. Yeah. And that doing the bear hug is really, number one, it's not going to be your first thing that you go to, no. right? This is if they're harming themselves or, or we think that they need um, to feel safe. Yeah. And that would be what I view that as. You're holding their body until they can control their body um, so you're keeping them safe. Yeah. And that's something, you know, I've had to do that in public with my child before where I would, would just word and talking very calmly. I'm just here to hold you and keep you mm-hmm. safe. I'm keeping you safe. I'm keeping you, you s- safe. Yep. Say it over and over. Every time there's a little break in the screaming, I'm keeping you safe. <laughs> I'm keeping you safe. Um, because we know that if we start yelling or escalating our voice, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's only going to escalate. Yeah. Even further. Yeah. Yeah. You have to stay as calm as you can and just, like I said, have a sense of compassion uh, for this. You know, sometimes you have to have a sense of humor about certain things, too. I mean, I remember years ago, a, a friend of mine, um, her daughter started having a tantrum about her chicken at dinner. Um, she got a chicken leg. She said, I don't want it big, I want it cut. So my friend cut the chicken leg and then. Her daughter didn't want it cut. She wanted it big. So she took away the cut chicken leg, gave her a different one. I don't want a different one. I want the first one, but not cut. You know, I mean. It's an impossible task. It's impossible. Well, here was my friend's solution. She took the mashed potatoes and used it like glue (laughs) and stuck the pieces back together. Okay. But, you know, there was a little bit of screaming. But, you know, you kind of have to go, all right, this is what what we've got. And, (laughs) you know kind of understand that this it's is creative okay. problem it's, solving yeah right? you know and we'll just go with what we have here <laughs> that's pretty funny um so I want to think too though when we're, we said about being overwhelmed by those emotions that yeah. um talking about their nervous system and that flight fight or oh freeze. my goodness yeah so the sympathetic nervous system has really kicked in for a kid that's truly having an overwhelmed kind of tantrum Um, So they are not able to reason, you know, that's just that uh, more primitive part of the brain has taken over and the frontal parts are not, you know, they're not letting words sink in. Words are not really articulate, uh, articulated, you know, coming out. They may be screaming words, but they're not necessarily um, useful to you. Right. (laughs) In any way. So, um, you know, they just can't reason at that point. And so you just have to sit with them and you know, say as few things as you can, you know, remind them that you're keeping them safe, remind them, you know, that we're just going to wait this out together. And, and, you know, you can say what you think they might be feeling, you can label that. But on the whole, you want to, you know, 
just be there. Stay as close as you can, and you want to be this calm and loving presence for your child so that um, you're seeing, through, seeing them through this time when they feel absolutely powerless to control what's happening. And I think that the best way that you can approach that um, with a child who's been angry is, you know, talking about it or problem solving at a later time. So yeah, often much later, much later, not immediately, not after. immediate. So no. maybe it's, you know, at bedtime when it's calm, maybe after mm-hmm. you've read a story and just say, you know, yeah. I know that that earlier today, that was really hard for you. I wonder what would help you yeah. next time in that situation. And sometimes kids feel embarrassed about it and they don't necessarily want to address it. And you can just kind of say, hey, you had this big feeling and it was really big and made you forget what you needed to do about that feeling. And that's it. You know, you might, that might be it. You might say those few words and move on. Um, And there's not, um, there's not a moral of the story after a tantrum. You know, I think Mm -hmm. people want their child to sometimes learn a lesson. Like you did this and remember not to do that or something. (laughs) And that's not the point. You know, the, the point is they have to get through this. And your job as the parent is to support them in their process of getting through it. Um, And again, if the tantrum was about being frustrated with the limit, the limit still stands. Um, And, you know, the next day, that limit will still stand, even though you might be afraid that, you know, that limit will spark a tantrum the next time. You still stick by it because if it's something important to you, you stick by it. you know, so when your child has a tantrum, you want to wait for it to wind down a little bit. And sometimes kids really want to be held after that whole thing is over. They've been through this storm <laughs> and they just want to be held. And sometimes if, if a child is having a tantrum because they were tired, they might actually fall asleep in your arms. And um, just let that be, you know, let that be. You put them down. I, you know, personally had one kid who had to do that every night at bedtime. He just couldn't go to bed it was like he had this excess energy that had to be discharged somehow no matter how much outside time we had no matter how busy he was all day he had this energy that hit him at bedtime and as soon as I said we were going to start the bedtime process it would be a tantrum and I would have to hold him and we would rock and roll for a while and then he would fall asleep in my arms and I would put him to bed Um, that lasted a lot longer than I thought it would, (laughs) (laughs) but then it went away. You know, it was just a, a a developmental phase for him that this was what he had to do. And then he was fine after that. And so there was not really any point in talking to him about it. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, because he would fall asleep and then the next morning it's a new day and we move on. (laughs) Yes. Well, and I think it's, you know, we talked earlier about riding the wave of Mm -hmm. of emotions, but I I wanted to share this other part that this analogy that's always um, helped me when thinking about big feelings and big emotions. And it's about uh, difficult feelings are tunnels and we are trains traveling through them. So if emotions are tunnels and we are trains going through them, then we need to keep moving all the way through them to the other side. Yeah. We can't just get off in the, in the middle of a tunnel, right? Yeah, yeah. So what we adults often do when facing our own emotional struggles is to attempt to get out of the tunnel early. Um, we might bang on the sides, uh, ignore the echo, wondering with confusion why we can't see. Um, 
but sometimes you just have to go through that tunnel mm-hmm. all the way through and to get to the other side. So we can't teach the kids that there's just some secret side to get off quickly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that they can go through the tunnel and get through and move on. Right. That's it. And, you know, over time, they learn to express themselves in ways that um, are more connected with other people than in ways like tantrums that disconnect them um, from others. And they'll, you know, as we support them through this process, they end up feeling heard and they want that connection more and more. And over time, they become more and more able to um you know, relate more fully with other people, hear other people's points of view, express theirs better, and um, get more comfortable, you know, in their own skin, with their own feelings, and and be able to express them and move on. And knowing that going through these feelings, which are part of life, mm-hmm. and that there's going to learn, need to learn how to manage disappointment, because that's yeah. going to happen in life. Yeah. But, but going through this will also help them to develop Um, and build resilience. Absolutely, because if they don't learn to deal with these kinds of feelings at the level of like a chicken leg, um, (laughs) how will they they deal with that feeling when it comes to, um, you know, maybe getting a grade they didn't want in college? Or not making the basketball team. Not making a team. Yeah, whatever it might be, you know, you have to be able to deal with a three-year-old size disappointment to deal with an adult-sized disappointment. You know, it's, it's not a skill that magically is endowed on us when it, we're adults. It takes work over years. And yes, practice, mm-hmm. practice, um, and the experience yeah. of going through those feelings. Mm-hmm. So, Angela, thank you so much for Thanks talking for with me, me on Amy. this today. So um, it, it was great talking about big feelings. I, I know that you were always super helpful to me oh, as a mom with those big feelings and continue to be. So I, I hope this will also be helpful to um, our p- parents now who might be going through this. So we'll see you next time on the next episode of the SYC Approach, Empowering Preschoolers Through Play and Compassion. Thank you for joining us. This is Amy Radowski, and I'm your host of the SYC School for Young Children podcast. I'm the co-director of the School of Young Children. We are located in Clintonville at 93 West Weisheimer Road. For information about how to contact us, you can check our website at www.sycolumbus.org.